The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. Hello, welcome to Very Loose Women Revamped. And on tonight's show, we have a special guest, Dr. Miranda Kaufman. But for now, you're listening to Electronic Renaissance. Renaissance Fair by the birds. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah. Something to do with the Renaissance. <laughs> Sorry, the birds. I think that maybe I'm dreaming. Renaissance Fair by the birds. I love the birds. I can't believe I got that wrong. <laughs> Easy mistake to make. Oh, Easy well, mistake to make. Can't always be flawless. <laughs> anyway, it's good to be um, back in the studio live. And we are really excited to have a special guest join us. A very special guest. Yeah. So um, for all of our very dedicated listeners, you may remember that um, a few weeks ago, we had a historian on called Lauren Johnson. And one of Lauren's followers and friends as well, I um, was listening and actually we had a bit of a Twitter chat and that is how we now have Dr. Miranda Kaufman who's joined us, who is also a historian specialising in the history of Africans in early modern London. Hello, Miranda. Hello. Hi. Thank you <laughs> Welcome. for coming. <laughs> Welcome to Very Loose Women on Resonance. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh, our pleasure. So I suppose um, before we go into our main topic, it's just been bank holiday and Easter weekend. In one line, can you tell me what you did over the bank holiday? I can tell you what I did. I had such a fun bank holiday. I was in Yorkshire and I got to feed some lambs, bottle feed some lambs, and they were mm. super cute and they made a really like lovely like sound when they were drinking <laughs> the milk. Did they wag their tails? They because wagged when I had tails. my when I had my lambs in my garden, they used to wag their tails when they were drinking. And you know, do they have their tails tied? Uh, with no, like a no, band. No, no. Because quite often, yeah, little lambs, they'll put bands on because their tails get really pooey, so they kind of want to dock them a bit. Yeah. And so we had little lambs with kind of rubber bands around their tails, and when they would drink the milk, they would wag their tails so much, and once they just wag their tail right off, <laughs> and that was a tail gone. Just <laughs> <laughs> like to okay. hold. I'm laughing, I, but I'm also totally disgusted. <laughs> it's great. It was a great moment. I didn't notice uh, if they had their tails bound, but as far as I could see, no. But some of them did have a bit of diarrhea from too much milk. I mean, not the ones I was feeding, but just generally in the field. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't they, your fault. They, they'd just been over-suckling a little bit, but it was delightful. They were so happy. I mean, I, I'm implying, I don't know if they were happy, but they seemed happy with their tails. They were gambling. Like, they were gambling around. It was great. Can't be unhappy while you're gambling. <laughs> Do we use the verb gambling for any other animal? I think it's just a it's, lamb. It's lambs. Definitely lamb specific. It's that movement when they do when they jump completely <laughs> off the ground. Straight straight it's up, so cool. like on a pogo stick. Yeah, it's so sweet. Um, any more for any more? Well, I thought I had an essay for Monday and I wrote on the, um, <laughs> I mean for Tuesday, and I wrote on the Facebook group of the university that I'm currently studying at and they're like, what? It was like, what time is it for tomorrow? And they're like, no, it's for the 6th of May. So I was like, oh my God, I've got five hours left of today. I'm going to make such good use of it. So I invited a friend over and we made a table and a bench in the garden and added a bit more branches to the fence I made. So that wow. was great. Very You've made a fence. Yeah. I, and well, a table. And a bench. I mean, all of this sounds better than it is. The fence is lots of branches piled on top of each other against my neighbour's wall. Is the bench just a tree stump? No, the bench is... A plank of wood on two flower pots. 
Incredible. Functional. Resourceful. Is yeah. the neighbour happy about this? Well, I can't see them anymore. There's no way of knowing. <laughs> <laughs> They're frowning at you, but... Yeah, I don't know. You're wiser. What about you, Miranda? Uh, well, I, I did some lamb watching as well. There was the lambs I was observing in Wales was you know, run, ra- running races, and there was lots of um, oh. gambling and hopping. And also, otherwise, I think I mostly hung out with my family and ate a lot. There was a lot of food, yeah. not just chocolate, just endless food of all descriptions. The How best kind of Easter. I mean, I cooked a six-course meal and also That's found ridiculous. out I had mice. So, oh yeah, well, I've maybe got mice they just again. There might be a relation between. Them. <laughs> yeah, did they come out for the <laughs> Easter feast? It came out when we were watching as a family Iron Man, and I said, "Oh my god, there's a fucking mouse over there." My dad said, "Will you be quiet? I'm trying to watch this film, and you're ruining it for me." <laughs> it was a mixed bag of a weekend. Emma, how was yours? Also a mixed bag. I did get the kind of chocolate fest, although I don't actually like Easter egg chocolate, but whatever. Wait. You don't like Easter egg chocolate. <laughs> it's flimsy. Well, anyway, <laughs> where are you getting them from? Yeah. <laughs> Cardboard shop. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also that I got a really mysterious rash, which like I think oh. I feel like it deserves its own episode. So I'll probably talk about that some later date because it's too much to go into that right now. <laughs> Sorry. But no. it's, I'll just tell you one thing. It's got a very interesting backstory. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Is it on your back? We're on ten hooks. Oh, it's very funny. We're on um, ten hooks, but um, some other time. I can't to... believe we're leaving us hanging on this rash. Yeah, well, no, come on. No, no, we're no. going on to our main topic. Our special Wait. guest is here. Emma's rash can't take over. For the sake My of rash, listeners. will probably still be here next week, guys. <laughs> yeah, for the sake of our listeners, the rash is not in a visible location at present. I'm glad All to hear that. Revealed. All will be revealed. It's contagious. It is not contagious. Okay. You don't know that. I Great. do know that. Oh, okay. What? You... I do know that. <laughs> Went to the doctor today and that was the first question I asked. Okay. It'd That's be irresponsible a- for me to work at a school with a contagious rash. <laughs> anyway. So, um, as you mentioned earlier, we've got our special guest Miranda on the show who's going um, to be telling us all about um, Africans, Renaissance Africans in um, the UK and London specifically. So, as historian, Africans in Renaissance UK, how did you get onto that topic? Well, I think I'd have to say my mind wandered in a lecture, <laughs> as, as they do. Um, the classic. I think I think um, I think I'd always been really interested in the Tudor period, and I was looking for something to research that sort of hadn't hadn't been done, well, according to my professors anyway. And um, I I I didn't I had no idea that there were. I mean, that was a big surprise. I had no idea that there were any Africans in Britain at that time, and so I was sort of framing my inquiry more along the lines of uh, Tudor perceptions of Africa mm. and those because I knew that, that the Tudors had been the first had been had had uh, been trading with Africa for the first mm. time from from England, and so I was wondering about that encounter on the coast of Africa. Mm. But then when I started reading around it, I quickly discovered references to actual Africans in, in Britain but not a huge amount of detail so I then wanted to follow it up and chase them chase them through the records and fi- find as much evidence for them as I could. Yeah absolutely and I think it's definitely we were talking about this earlier not many people do know and we certainly don't know very much about the history of Africans in um, the UK at this time and um, so when you started doing your research did you kind of realise that there were a kind of particular say a group how how did they end up coming over here and why is it that we just don't know anything about them or haven't until recently well i think i think what we know about history it all depends on what questions we ask mm-hmm. you know what answers we get so the kind of questions that pe- people ask of the past have i think sh- really shifted a lot over the last 
hundred years or so. You know, so mm. hundred years ago, you know, people were looking mostly at at high politics and wars and great men, and and now you know, there's a lot more interest in social history and ordin- lives of ordinary people and. Um, you know, post-colonial Britain, we are, are asking completely different questions of the past. And so that's where these kind of answers... It was always there. It's just mm. nobody was looking for it or asking those quest- specific questions. Uh, in terms of how, how they got here, uh, there were lots of different ways, you know, people move around. But but um, the, three, the three main routes that I identified were... Um, directly from Africa with the with when we started trading with Africa um, some small groups of Africans were, were brought back to England to um, to train them in English So and then they actually took them back to Africa so they could work as interpreters and trade factors so that was quite, sort of doesn't account for a lot, very large numbers mm. but it was what's obviously one one area of potential movement um, one thing we definitely say is they all came here on a boat but, okay. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's a bit simplistic perhaps. but the second way is sort of through through europe so um while we don't know about the being africans of britain we also a lot of people don't realize there were quite a lot of africans in in europe in renaissance europe in, especially in southern europe in mm. uh, spain portugal and italy um uh, you know, for, so by 1550 10 percent of the population of lisbon was black for example. really yeah i never would have thought that that's well, a, that's you know that's a very significant mm-hmm. minority. Yeah, there's some great street scenes of of, of Lisbon and, and Seville at that at, at that period. Um, you know where you can really see in the painting, you know the sort of black faces in the crowd and at different levels of society as well. As a, mm. uh, it, it is such an interesting thing because actually I think most of us, if we've ever learnt about early modern history at school. It has always been something that you get, you get, you don't really associate with ethnic diversity at all. Actually, yeah. like it's just something that isn't really discussed almost in our kind of normal curricula, I suppose. If someone in Renaissance Europe mm-hmm. is black, mm-hmm. is it an assumption? Like, is it obvious that they're from Af- that they're African? Like, where is that? Is well, that certain? Well, this is where we get into problems with terminology, isn't it? And what do you mean by? I mean. There are people from the continent of Africa who don't have very dark skin. You know, it's, there's a whole range of different peoples and everything. So, I mean, I, I apologise for using the terms fairly loosely for, for brevity's sake. But um, and obviously, you know, depending when you're talking about, there could easily be sort of second, third generation people and who have inter- intermarried and intermingled and. You know, there's been all sorts of movement around. You know, sort of, it's only like 1492 that the the Spanish have sort of expelled the Moors from from Spain. So you know, there's all sorts of mixtures, and I mean, it's not it's not a kind of clear cut thing. Or often, often. And in the UK specifically, what kind of numbers are we talking about? Um, well, I, I I found over 360 individuals between 1500 and 1640, but uh, I didn't read every single early modern you know record for the whole period. So that's just a sort of snapshot in a way and you never know it could be the tip of the iceberg there could have mm. been you know and those you know and then not every individual ends up in the record at all so yeah of course um but not i mean we're not talking about very large numbers as, as far as i understand it but i think that, that doesn't stop their experiences being interesting and you were talking before about how 
some of these people won't have um, records and they may work in people's houses and do all sorts of different things. And that now we also tend to look at history differently. We want to find out more about what the kind of average person was doing or not necessarily just look at great figures. Mm. The people that you found out about, what types of things were they doing in London and were there any sort of standout people or is that something that you're not as interested in sort of researching? I know, you know, if there's standout people, I want to know about them. The famous. (laughs) (laughs) The great and the good. No, um, I think... uh, the you know the, I suppose if in terms of job description the vast majority are probably domestic servants of some sort um, but that really ranges in household from you know royal servants um, royal musicians or entertainers um, but also sort of grooms or you know ser- um, just general royal servants but also you find them in that householders of of gent- gentlemen and aristocrats are also way down the scale sort of seamstresses beer brewers. Uh, which is quite interesting, just in itself, and that. Uh, but but so so there's just a whole range, and then you find some individuals who who are earning their own living. So there's um, a reference to a, a a man who made fine Spanish needles in Cheapside in the 1540s in the reign of Queen Mary, um, and, and there's a, close to here. Uh, in in the parish of St Olaf Tooley Street, um, where we find reasonable blackmen in the 1590s. There was a, he was a silk weaver who had at least three children. Reasonable. Mm-hmm. And in what way is he reasonable? Do you think that means he's he's well he's like well behaved or people think he's reasonably priced for his wares? I don't know. <laughs> well but, yeah, well, you... maybe it's a trading name. But, <laughs> but well the, some people who might have not have thought him reasonable were the people he it says the other the only the rest of the line you know, there's just a literally sort of one a couple of sentences in a a, a contemporary chronicle well, a slightly later chronicle and, and and it says, you know, he would not teach his art to any so it's quite mm. interesting because it, it it shows that he must have had this monopoly on making this particular kind of needle, um, which might have been you know particularly in vogue to do a particular kind of fashion sewing. I don't know, but you know the cloth, the cloth industry in England was pretty was pretty big in that time. Mm. So I mean, he, I was sort of explaining he so he, he yeah that's quite interesting that he he might have come from Spain because uh, mm. he knew how to make fine Spanish needles, um, and so so Africans could have come to London from from southern Europe you know in the entourages of merchants mm. or. Uh, royals marrying in, so maybe like Catherine of Aragon, Philip II of Spain, when they come over, they might have had Africans in their households. Um, uh, but yeah, and then yeah, the other way, I'm just answering an earlier question. Mm. I didn't finish answering. <laughs> <laughs> the third, the, one of the interesting ones that I think people hadn't necessarily thought about was um, privateering. So when when the English go out and commit, uh, you know, well, official piracy, piracy with a letter okay. from the Queen saying you're allowed to <laughs> capture. <laughs> Um, foreign vessels at sea, um, people like Francis Drake, but you know, lot, lot, there were loads. Privateering was more popular than any other um, trading activity at the time. So, so, so you go out, capture a ship. A lot of this period, Spain is the enemy. Uh, you capture a Spanish or Portuguese ship. It might well have Africans on board because the Spanish and Portuguese had already got going on transporting Africans across the Atlantic to work right. in their colonies so um, you're going yeah, before to the tri- English had. Yeah, that kind of be- what became the kind of triangle. Mm-hmm. But at this point, you're going kind of through to kind of further south. Yeah, to, to sort of the, the uh, Spanish Iberian col- um, Empire in, in South South America. So, so yeah, so that so you could get um, they you know they'd be raiding these ships mostly for you know the gold and the silver or the sugar on board, but actually there would also be Africans mm-hmm. on board, and they come. Uh, yeah, come back, bring them back to to Britain as well. So, 135 Africans were brought into Bristol in 1590, for example, on one privateering 
Shit. Okay. So you were talking before about so you started off with an interest in kind of attitudes for like in England to Af mm -hmm. about Africans mm -hmm. or about Africa. Yeah. But what is whether is that different to the attitudes within England mm. when there were actually African people living there, and what were the attitudes to people like? So uh, the stuff that had has already been written about kind of ideas about Africa. Um, there, you know, that there's ideas being right. You know that they're heathens and that they. Uh, you know, don't have any god or, or whatever, and, and I mean, I think what the, I mean that's one, and that there are sort of strange monsters in in Africa. You know, men with no heads, men with dogs' heads, men. Do, yeah, I don't know if you have ever saw the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. You know, Narnia. You know, when they turn yeah. up on different islands and there's somebody with like one big foot. Yeah, you know, that. You know, C.S. Lewis gets all those stories from his classical studies into these sort of ideas of strange off monsters in strange far off lands and the you know that this is the renaissance so they're revisiting these classical texts and so they're actually seeing those as authorities even though they've got a whole load of sailors going out and actually visiting these places the sa almost the sailors perceptions of what they find yeah. are, are governed by these texts so um you know, I, 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 the, the, I was reading today, there was a, the, um, somebody comes to Robert Cecil and he says, oh, yeah, I've, I've been all around the world and I, I've seen at least 20 men with dogs' heads together, standing together. You know? What do you think? <laughs> like, sailors have really weird perceptions. They're like mermaids and stuff. I mean, <laughs> like sirens. What's going on with the sailors? Because they're, they're not getting they sleep deprived. They're not eating enough apples. Yeah. Not enough dreams. No, yeah. I don't know. But anyway, there's all this kind of fantastical literature and yeah. strange ideas, but... But then when you look at what's actually happening in England, then they're, they're actually, there aren't any monsters. And they are, you know, they're, they're, treat, they're being accepted into parish communities through baptism, marriage and burial in, in Christian cemeteries. So, so when you have all this sort of stuff about he, um, he, heathens in, uh, and, and in, in Africa, you know, that, that actually doesn't work. You know, in England, when, with the Africans we, we find are often in, in church records and they are being... Baptized and and because of the way that uh, that the Protestants thought of of Christianity, you know, you couldn't just sort of you know dunk someone's head in the water and there you are, they're Christian. You know, they really had to educate them and learn, you know, to say the creed or you know to understand something of of the of of what they were doing. So, I think that shows a level of acceptance yeah. into the community and real integration in a way as well. Mm. Yeah. So I'm quite interested. So talking about kind of births, marriages, baptisms, etc. Mm -hmm. How can you when you're looking at the sources that are available, how can you actually identify which sources are referring to um, Africans in London as opposed to um, like Anyone people else? who are, yeah. Um, well, um, so so there are certain kind of um, key pieces of vocabulary, sort of ethnic descriptors that are used. So, so you'll find a parish register and it'll say things like, John, a blackamoor, was baptised today. You know, so they blackamoor was the most popular term used, but they're also referred to as Ethiopes or Nigars or you know Guinea Nigar. You know, the various terms used, wow. but you kind of get a handle for them. The word black is a bit of a false friend in that sense. You know, at the time, uh, black black you know could be used to talk about people with dark. Hair. I mean, quite a lot of the sort of courtiers of the time are known as Black Tom or whatever. You know, there's to mm. Thomas Wentworth, Thomas Stafford. That's a bit later, but they, uh, you know, they're all called Black Tom, and as far as we know, they're not of African origin. You know, and the word African is hardly ever used. Um, but 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 sort of, if someone's described as a Blackamoor or a more, I think what's really, also really important is if it says the or a Blackamoor, because mm. sometimes people have got overexcited and kind of cited Africans in the records that aren't really there. You know, so it sort of says. If it says John Blackmore, 
that might be someone from Yorkshire who come whose family <laughs> lived near a, a moor that they burn every year, you know, to, as part of the moor upkeep, and then the moor is black. And yeah, you know, I mean, there's various place names in England like Blackmoor. So you get a lot of not, sort of sort of false leads and red herrings that you've got to go through. Yeah, you're sort of sitting there reading through these oh, things all day and you're just like, well, I really hope, I really want to find, you're desperate to find, I mean, I once uh, was, in the, <laughs> was in the archives in Southampton and I'd been reading through parish registers all day and found absolutely nothing and and then I finally found one and I was like, yes! And everyone in this very quiet reading room turned to look at me like, what's going on? <laughs> she having a Meg Ryan moment. Uh, but <laughs> just like, it was almost was. But yeah, um, because you, the other thing is that you kind of get a hang, because they've got this extra words in the sentence, you know, instead of it just saying John Smith was bought, was baptised, it says John Smith, a blackamoor was baptised. And so you literally get to sort of scanning these lists and you, and it's a longer sentence, so it sticks out for you. But then you find other interesting descriptions. And on um, that kind of idea about births, marriages and deaths, mm -hmm. um, one thing which I think, Emma, you're particularly keen to find out about was thinking of integration. What about how, to what extent did, um, to the best of your knowledge, did Africans in London um, and the UK at this time mm. integrate with people and actually On marry? On a romantic level. Yeah, romantically. <laughs> Intimately. Maybe not romantically yes. and just sexually as right. well. Well, I, you know, a bit, a bit, a bit <laughs> of both. There was, there was a whole, the whole range of you know encounters that any that you know that you can imagine was, was taking place. So, again, we you know, we're lucky. We've got the sort of church records, which church court records, which you know, fornication was a crime and that was committed by lots of English people in the 16th century, and some of them with blackamoors, in, as it's written. And you know, um, so, so you get records of. of um, Fornication or prostitution um, record cases in the in the Bridewell Court of London, for example. So, I was telling you, there's a, there's one record where it says, you know, uh, these this couple, one of whom was no, the ma the man was an, an African man, and it says, you know, they were ca caught a bed together, the door locked, and you know, this is oh, definite scandalous. evidence that stuff was going on. Um, and I think there's there's another example of someone, uh, I think in Stepney, who's being fined by the church wardens for. Living, living in sin, really, with with with. Um, I think she was called Grace the Blackmore. Anyway, but but there's. So you have that. You have um, there are relationships where, um, where 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 they're not married, but they're they're together because you see the same couple having having more than one child baptized in the same okay. parish over a period of years, uh, like somebody called Gwilym Ivy in in Gloucestershire, a place called Durham, and he he fathers more than one child with a. Woman called Anna Spencer, and that. But then you have also have marriage records, so that in you know, it both ways. You know, so there are there are records of African men marrying English women, and of um, at least one Englishman in in Bristol I know married marrying an African woman as well. So but it sounds like there are, there are f there's fewer there's less evidence of African women in mm -hmm. the UK from what you're saying. You've mostly been talking about men. Um, yeah, uh, they, they're, no, they're, I mean, of of the records I found, I mean, at least I think almost half of them were were actually women. Right. Uh, although some of these are sort of second generation, so that effect it gets affected that way. Um, there, I mean, there are. I mean, I was talking about the ones making uh, making money and stuff, but there there are there are definitely w women here as well, um, and some of them owned owned goods as well. There's um, there's a woman uh, called Helena Ma Mayu who turns up in the in a London um, court because someone has stolen goods from her, which is quite interesting. And there's a there's a woman in who dies in. Almondsbury in Gloucestershire in 1625 called Catalina, 
it's interesting she's got a spanish sounding name mm-hmm. yeah, but but um she uh she she owned a cow that was worth three pounds and ten shillings. That's a very dear cow. Sounds lovely. Cows were very valuable, yeah. yeah. You could get milk out of them. Milk, Good stuff. Still yeah. can. Beef. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And in, in school, I had to study uh, the Valladolid debate. It was in France. I don't know how to pronounce that in English. The but it was debate. Valladolid, le controverse. Oh, Valladolid. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> so, but that showed that, because you're, you're portraying actually quite harmonious mm-hmm. relations, whereas this... This is a debate, it's a, it's a trial in Spain uh, in the 1550s where um, they're genuinely question, questioning whether a man is a man mm-hmm. and they're saying it could be, he could be a monkey, he could be a man. And, they, and so that's a question that was going on. There are records for that in the 1550s in Spain. Is there a similar... I, I, that's kind of beyond racism. That's, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Like, is, there a, is there a parallel in the UK at this time? Or, or was it... Um, I think I think yeah, the situation is quite different because like we were saying you know, there's such a much larger African population in Spain and also they've already st- embarked upon slave transatlantic slave trading and enslaving Africans both but in Spain and in in their um, colonies whereas uh, the the English are kind of behind on that game and and there's so much smaller numbers in England and and but in turn I mean there, there's certainly no immediate equivalent to that um, and the, I mean the only I mean, the question of slavery. I mean, I, I, I think that it's not, it's not actually legally possible to be a slave in England at this time. So the only court record that deals with slavery in the Elizabethan period is in 1569, and they rule that it's actually in relation to a Russian rather than African. But they rule that the air of England is too pure an air for slaves to breathe in. Uh, but there are other sort of practical examples where, uh, where, where slavery doesn't happen. So um, where. Um, uh, so, like, so um, he- he- um, Hector Nunez, who's a Portuguese physician, uh, you know, comes to court in 1587, and he says, "I re- you know, I thought the law here was the same as it was in Portugal, where I'm from, but actually, I realise I have no uh, recourse under the common law of this realm to to um, to force this Ethiopian to tarry and serve me. I thought I could keep, you know, but he want, he's, he refuses to he refuses to tarry and serve me, and I, I realise I can't stop him." Yeah. Fantastic information. I think we're coming towards the end of the show, but I would like to say a massive thank you to Miranda for joining us. Thank you, Miranda. I think we've learned a lot, and what really comes through as well is that you obviously, A, know a lot about your subjects, but you're really passionate that it's something that people need to learn about, and we should learn about at school as well, especially for young people growing up here. So I hope that everyone who listened enjoyed as well. We're going to finish... um, on a song but before we do that I would really highly recommend everyone to read Miranda's blog which is www.mirandakaufman1f2ns.com so yeah check it out I thought that just want to clarify I thought that was part of the address but you're just saying you're just spelling out her name (laughs) it's not like I thought it was too I was like for simplicity's sake my my website and blog is the same as my name and if you if I haven't (laughs) answered your questions you know tweet me email me Whatever. We'll be tweeting her, yep. so yeah. you can go on our tweet to find her tweet, her Twitter account. Yeah, You've been a brilliant guest. Thank you. No, no, no. Yeah. This Thank is Electronic much. Renaissance by Bell and Sebastian. This programme was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts.
Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.